You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Emily Wu-Chong is a motivational speaker for mental health awareness. She is affiliated with NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and has been involved with this organization for the last eight and a half years. I've invited her on to Talking Taiwan as a guest since July is BIPOC, Black Indigenous People of Color Mental Health Month. Emily spoke with me about her own struggles with mental health and suicide. She has a passion for working with youth on mental health-related issues. She also shared her thoughts about the oppression and trauma experienced firsthand or as generational trauma by the people of Taiwan and how it could impact one's mental health. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATWA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATWA was founded in 1988, and its mission is, one, to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, two, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, three, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. Four, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. And five, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NATWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Emily. Thank you for having me. I know that you've uh, had a long history of doing advocacy work with mental health, and you've had your own personal. You have your own personal story behind that. So, where does that story start? I ended up studying psychology and social behavior at UC Irvine, and mm -hmm. um, so I was always trying to understand, like, like why are humans the way they are, and yeah. so. Even and I think part of it was also trying to understand myself. One side of myself is called Lady in Green. Yeah. And the reason for that is because um, when I discovered that, um, you know, like you know how the pink ribbon. What does that stand for? Yes. Breast cancer. We know that. Right. Do you know what the lime green ribbon stands for? Well, I know because I've watched your videos. <laughs> I learned from you, <laughs> the yeah. lady in green. Yes. Is it yeah. suicide prevention awareness or something? Or is it so, mental health awareness? It's mental health awareness. Oh, yeah. okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, no worries. Yeah. I think like suicide prevention might be either silver or purple. So I oh, don't know. Okay. Um, okay. But, uh, but yeah, so the lime green ribbon stands for mental health awareness. And so, you know, back in 2013 to 2017 or so, I would literally like dress up in green clothing, like almost every day. And that's how I got my, you know, title lady in green mm -hmm. because I was like if Lady Gaga can be a fashion statement, so can I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's why, you know, I let my creative side come out and so that I could talk more about mental health in a positive light. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's not such a scary topic to talk about. 
you know, mental illness, mental health is like the elephant in the room that no one wants to talk about. It's, it's keeps on getting shoved under the rug. And, you know, I, what I like to share from my talks is that your skeletons in your closet don't have to be scary. Like some of the themes I've heard in my life growing up or like post-college were like the only way out is through. Hmm. Uh, persevere, don't give up, uh, dare to dream. And these messages, you know, really spoke to my heart because I was always someone who questioned the status quo. Why are things the way they are? Why, why, why? Like, mm -hmm. I was like an existential thinker. And to be this way when I was in junior high <laughs> made me feel like an alien because I'm like, <laughs> no one can have these conversations with me. <laughs> so what were your questions in junior high that no one else wanted to talk to you about <laughs> or didn't get? <laughs> like, what's the purpose of life? You know, mm -hmm. why am I here? What am I yeah. here to do? And, right. you know, like I live in a community that is affluent, but money does not buy happiness. What brings happiness? What can make me happy? There's a painting by Van Gogh. I think uh -huh. it's called The Potato Eaters. Oh, and okay. it's kind of like a... A painting of a family that's just sitting together yeah but you can tell that they're all like disconnected and not oh. really happy mm. so I felt like that with my family and so for every holiday Thanksgiving and Christmas like I would at least for two or three years I volunteered my time to uh, for for a homeless shelter to help. When you were in junior high? Oh, actually, sorry. This was like, mm, I think this might have been post-college. Yeah. Okay. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, I wanted to be a person of service. And, right. You know, because there are people who feel less than like yeah. outcasts of society yeah, sure. and I've always admired people like Martin Luther King Jr., Mother mm -hmm. Teresa, Nelson mm -hmm. Mandela, mm -hmm. um, people who, who had Gandhi, who had to handled very challenging situations with people who oppressed them. Yeah. And, and so like, I've always felt that there was disconnection that like, like, I feel like capitalism only, only hurts our community because 
people are always trying to compete and one-up each other. When actually I feel like our community should be more about lifting each other up, supporting one another, Mm -hmm. not competing, Mm -hmm. so that there can be more collaboration. Right. And... You know, I think in the eight traditional Asian communities, it's like competi- competition is so ingrained into them because of what they learned in Asia, you know, and they're trying to study so hard academically to get into yeah. the best schools possible, right. right? Yeah. And I imagine how tough and challenging that is, too, because yeah. you want to make your parents proud, right? Mm-hmm. So my parents went to Taida, uh, uh, yeah, the Harvard yeah. of Taiwan. Right, right. And so I'm like, um, uh, yeah, right. Like, I can't <laughs> compete with that, you know? Like, and I'm the youngest of three. My brother... Okay. Is um, was a straight A student, eight years older than me. Okay. And then my, you know, he um, was first violin of the high school orchestra, first violin of Pasadena Youth Symphony Orchestra. My sister was a straight A student until high school, and then like me, I was never a straight A student until I took some easy classes at the end of my (laughs) senior year. (laughs) You know. And, and so, like, I hated even being compared to my siblings or even my yeah. cousin, you know, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. my mom would be like, oh, look at your cousin. She's getting her MBA. She's going to an Ivy League. And look, she's working for, a, like, Google, you know? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. you want her to be your daughter? You know, it's just the competition or parents comparison their kids to each other it's just so bad for their mental health I mean did you experience oh yeah totally totally I was the oldest but still I had cousins yeah Mm -hmm. cousins who are older than me or close in age to me they're yeah and even if the parents didn't compare well they did they totally did but you compare yourself too because you're like oh how come they have this and I don't have this or something Mm -hmm. like that you know Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's absolutely. horrible, right? Yeah. Because then you end up hating yourself, like, ah, damn it. <laughs> What's like, wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, right? What's, what the fuck is wrong with me, you know? And, and, and it made me not want to hang out with my high school friends because I felt like, oh, look at them. Like, they're all getting their masters and they're getting full-time jobs and look at me, what am I doing, you know, and my mom, after college, like, she kept on pushing for me, like, go get a full-time job, or go get your graduate degree, like, Hmm. what are you doing, and so I internalized What was your degree, what was your degree in, Emily? Oh, psychology and social behavior. Oh, okay, that was your bachelor's, okay, right, sorry. Yeah, 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 so I didn't get my, um, uh, my master's, I I never did, and. Okay. Um, but I feel like a lot of my education has been from life. Yeah, you know? sure. Like there are life lessons that yeah. life can teach you that school academics cannot. Oh, totally. 
I agree. You know, so I feel like I've learned a lot of life lessons that I want to、mm-hmm. impart to the younger generations, so that they can learn these life lessons sooner than I did. Right.、And、you know, so I I want um that's where、mm-hmm. like I want to be like their big sister. You know. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Yeah, I'd never had a younger sibling, and I、mm-hmm. was the youngest of all, all three. And yeah,、um, yeah. So my heart is really with youth,、um, yeah,、mm-hmm. and and letting them know that hey, you do not need to be perfect. You do、right. not need、right. to get your freaking straight right. A's right. to feel that you are worthy. Yeah. It's it's if you're getting that pressure from your parents, it's because it's the way your parents were raised,、mm-hmm. and and I think that's where I also want to help the kids learn how to navigate these kinds of conversations with、right. their parents. But、yeah. they also it, it's difficult. But、yeah. if the parents don't listen, well. That's where I tell the students: you need to find your family outside of your family.、Mm. You know,、yeah. find find the people who have similar value systems、mm-hmm. as you.、Mm-hmm. That's crucial for your mental health. Yeah. yeah.、Mm-hmm. Can you、so、talk you- a little about your personal story? Because I know this comes from your own personal struggle、uh, with mental health, and as you alluded to. The difficulties you had with your communicating with your family, and you also are a suicide survivor. Can you talk about like what happened and how you got through that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well,、um, let's see. So we were. So I was born in Arkansas. My parents、mm-hmm. were born in Taiwan, and they moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. So. Um, I was in Arkansas. We, I was born in '81.、Uh, we moved to California in '88, and so I, our family moved after I finished first grade. And in Arkansas, we were like one of three Asian families in our town, and、okay. the my classmates. Were colorblind. They didn't make me feel any different. And so when we left, I think my parents told me, "Don't tell anyone we're leaving." Oh. And yeah. And so it made me feel sad because then I didn't get the contact information from my classmates,、yeah. my friends. And I was,、oh. I was really sad. And yeah, I used, you didn't get to say goodbye or to have the opportunity to continue the relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, like, have you watched the movie Disney's、uh, Inside Out? No, I've heard of it, but I guess、okay. I should watch it, right? <laughs> <Yeah> . Well, okay. The、um, the main character, the little girl.、Um, She is sad because her parents decided to move from one town to another, far away. And so I felt like when I watched that movie, I'm like, "That's me." Yeah. And I had I especially had a hard time because 
I, I like I, I faced bullying and and friendship when you moved to the West Coast. Yeah, when I moved from Arkansas to California, I had emotional struggles as far as elementary school. Um, in like one thing that I had learned in Arkansas was to share me. Okay. In Arkansas, like as far back as maybe daycare, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't remember how old I was. And I was <laughs> wow. playing with a little girl uh -huh. and another little girl wanted to play with us. Mm -hmm. And she's like, and, and we said, no, you can't play with us. Oh, and then no. we got in trouble for that. So oh, we had to sit right. in the corner, right? Okay. To teach us a lesson. Right. So then when I, you know, third grade comes along here in SoCal, um, I, I'm confronted with the same exact situation. And so this time I say, yes, you can play with us. However, the first little girl I was playing with, she says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Because you you said, let's let the other girl join us. Yeah, I said, yes, she could play with us. And I'm just <laughs> like, my heart wow. was crushed. This wow. is third grade. And yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Yeah. I thought... I learned from my lesson before in Arkansas, like yeah. we're supposed to share. And so I hadn't, I remember journaling about it, but my teacher didn't really say anything about it. And I was just emotionally frustrated. Yeah. So I, having these kinds of experiences made me homesick for Arkansas. Like I didn't have to deal with this kind of stuff when I was in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I was friends with everyone and I had a best friend and I would have dreams about going back to Arkansas and playing with my other friends. And mm. like, why do we have to move? Mm -hmm. Like, and, you know, and then when it, I reached ju uh, junior high, you know, things only got worse and I was bullied mm. and like class, like my so-called friends would steal stuff from my backpack. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I didn't know what to do. So I tried to teach them a lesson by stealing back from her oh, backpack uh -huh. and I saw how worried she was and later I returned it back to her and I it took her several years to apologize for bullying me but at the time there were no resources or for kids to learn how to cope with these distressing situations and so like I my sister I um my sister would tell me to we used to go to church and she told me why don't you pray to God for a friend oh, and wow. so I prayed and I I met 
this one boy at church, his name was Enoch. Okay. And, and then like, maybe the next day when school started, like, ta-da, he's right there. Oh, like, oh my God, like, <laughs> and this was actually a Taiwanese church um, okay. that I was going to. And, yeah. and he just became such a good friend. I had the biggest crush on him because Aww. he was such a good listener. Yeah. He would just listen and listen, and I needed that. I oh, needed nice. a friend who yeah. could be that listener. Yeah. And and um, and so, um, but he was so mature. Like, I think we, we have been best friends since. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so great. Yeah. You guys are still in touch. Yeah, yeah. So um, I love him. Um, I He's like my brother. And um, I I needed, like, I don't, I, tell, I have told him I couldn't survive school Aww. without him. Oh. Because he was, like, so... He was such a supportive friend. Like I, even at the end of senior year, mm -hmm. we did like uh, reflections. Like, if any seniors wanted to perform anything for um, the end of the school year to mm. to commemorate their memories uh, or share something about their memories with uh -huh. their friends, Enoch and I sang a duet. <laughs> and oh, that's wonderful. It was it was um, Michael W. Smith's song called Friends. Oh. And the chorus goes, um, um, and friends are friends forever, and the Lord something the Lord of Lords is with them, and mm. a friend will not say never. Um, it's hard to let you go in the Father's hands. We know mm -hmm. that a lifetime's not too long mm -hmm. to live as friends. Oh, yeah, you're getting choked up now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm actually at a place right now where I'm recalling memories that I haven't thought about for a long time. And it's like I'm e able to easily access these memories, and okay. I do remember when I sang this duet with yeah. with Enoch that I we made people tear up, oh, because it was touching, and yeah. you know because it's like you're you're gonna your your high school life is ending, and you're gonna start yeah. the next chapter, right? Go off to college, you know, right? And um. We he went to UCLA. I went to UC Irvine, and okay. and the transition was just really hard from sure from yeah. high school to college because yeah. like I had I was dealing with a breakup in the beginning of of college, um, oh. and like I didn't know how to handle rejection oh, and. Mm -hmm. My heart was crushed. So you and, broke up. You had broken up with your high school sweetheart then, or something. When you uh, before you went had, to college, he had broken up with me. Okay, yeah. And so oh. I was just like crushed, and oh. and I just 
I I have no coping tools. Like all I could do is like just talk to my high school friends and um and just vet and and I think I did try uh in college I think part of your tuition includes a few se- uh therapy sessions right. I tried that but I was okay. like I'm not connecting with this lady <laughs> like yeah. so right. I didn't know there was an <clears throat> option to be able to try someone else and see oh, yeah. if you have a better connection with someone sure. else. Like, I did not know that at all. Oh, like, sure, yeah. And so I just, I gave up easily. And mm-hmm. um, and then, uh, but, but dating was my coping skill. And um, in order to feel connected to somebody, and okay. um, I went through, I had different relationships and ones that my parents couldn't deal with and, and that they but, didn't approve of. Yeah. That they didn't, that was hard. You had a, a breakdown and you actually, did you attempt suicide? You con- you considered suicide? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I did yeah. consider suicide. So like how did, what happened? Like, what happened to lead you to get to the point of having a breakdown or having suicidal thoughts? So that was in college, and I had given my heart away. I was in love with a boy who had broken up with another boy who broke up with me. Mm-hmm. And I just I couldn't handle it. And he was sleeping with the girl two doors down from me. Oh, dear. And it was just like... I loved him. I gave him my heart. Mm-hmm. But it because I didn't keep my heart. That's why, like, I put my worth in his hands, not my hands. I see. Yeah, and that's why, like, I felt suicidal. I felt like I wanted to choke myself to death. Oh, but geez. in the back yeah, because of my- you let his behavior dictate your value. Exactly. Or how he was treating you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And young girls sometimes don't know yeah. how to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you take back your worth? How yeah. how do you see your worth? Is your worth dependent on all these external things? If you have a yeah. boyfriend, mm-hmm. if you know, or if the person you love doesn't love you back, like, right. what is your worth dependent on? Yeah. And yeah. so I feel like we don't really have these kinds of conversations because our capitalistic society thinks that you're only worth somebody if you have lots of money and have a high salary and like have letters behind your name and, you know, and, and, you know, and if you're, you know, it's just all, all these external things, but it's just, yeah. When you die, what are you what are you gonna leave behind? Yeah. Your legacy. What did mm-hmm. you stand for? Mm-hmm. What what are you gonna be remembered for? Are right. you gonna be remembered for someone who is like rich and snobby and you know, like to buy things and you know, like to, to fill up your internal void, you know, or or are you gonna be a person who is kind mm-hmm. and and passed on good values to the next generation yeah 
and, and so, so I, yeah. yeah so how did how did you deal with that situation so I mean yeah I think a lot of people who have been young and been in, in relationships can deal with the heartache of breakup and feeling despondent and all that but in your case it was very intense and uh, how did you deal with that because you said you wanted to Mm-hmm. choke yourself I mean that's yeah. terrible yeah well I cried a lot I cried a lot in my room I just cried and I I think I may have reached out to some friends but in the back of my mind I I, I remembered I my sister and like I you know I love my sister and I was thinking that, you know, if I killed myself today, like, my sister would feel really sad. And so I didn't go through with it. I didn't even have any resources to turn to. I didn't know about any national suicide prevention lifeline, you know. And... I just, I may have just talked to some friends about mm-hmm. how sad I was. And, yeah. And so I just persevered. I, I, I actually, I remember sinking myself into work, mm. um, a job that I did enjoy with UCI Extension. Okay. And so I would just work, 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 work because it, did you talk to your sister about this um i think i later did and when I, and when she and her response was that she would be really sad oh, if i yeah, was gone terrible yeah like because i'm her own, one and only sister yeah you know, biologically mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so i you know i just carried on and and I sank myself into work because Mm -hmm. it was a a place where I could just stop thinking um and but I did have a good um supervisor at the time and she was a good listener as well so I think having her as a supervisor she was also kind of like a confidant as well and Oh, that's I good. think she also helped me cope. As, yeah. 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 I mean, it's very interesting when you talk to people who've contemplated suicide. Like, mm-hmm. what is it that stops them or how close they come? It's interesting. People have different stories. But it's so important to know that you matter to somebody, in your case, your sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And now for a short break. Hello, listeners. We're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content, under 20 minutes long. And we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes? What would you like to hear more of or less of? Email us at podcast at talkingtaiwan.com. We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lin, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. 
Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lin, author of Death Doesn't Forget, and Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. There's a lady, her name is Irish Chang. Yes. I'm not sure if you know yeah, her? I, of course I'm aware of her, yeah. Yeah, what do you know about her? Yeah, I mean, she wrote this uh, book, The Rave of Nanking, and um, she is a very influential Asian-American uh, women writer of her generation, And um, but she ended up taking her life, and it's very mysterious what happened um, if, because she wrote about very dark things like this, and mm-hmm. if that somehow affected her psyche or... Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was mm-hmm, Yeah, that mm-hmm. made her take her life. Yeah. yeah. So what I suspect is that she, she did a lot of interviewing of women right. who were victims, who were mm-hmm. raped. Oh. And so people had to relive their pain. But if you don't have the skills... Like there's some there's a phrase called vicarious trauma. Okay. So you can also become traumatized just by listening to other people's stories. Right. So perhaps she absorbed it or internalized it somehow. Exactly. And mm-hmm. it was too much for he, her emotional mind to handle. Yeah, because mental health professionals, they also need to have their own um they they need to have healthy boundaries. You know, the word for it is sorry. Healthy boundaries. Yeah. No. And they also need to talk to other health mental health professionals so that they can process and mm-hmm. be able to do the work that they do. So, mm-hmm. like you said, they don't have this vicarious trauma or they're not affected because mm-hmm. I'm sure they hear all sorts of and deal with people in all sorts of. Um, situations that are Mm -hmm. very could be disturbing or difficult Mm -hmm. and so one thing that i i I remember that i used to say was like i want to be the irish chain who doesn't die (laughs) (laughs) you know because it's like i want to be able to i want other people to feel uplifted to share their own story so that they can live in their truth Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. And, and not feel like they have to always be a victim of their past. Mm-hmm. And so that they can show that, look, you overcame all that trauma. You survived it. You're still alive. How? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, like, at a... Like in 2015, I got the Woman of the Year Award from my Senator Ed Hernandez. 
-hmm. And part of my speech, I Mm -hmm. shared that at a training I went to, they asked, who is your hero or shiro? And I said, you know, I have lots of role models, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, but my shiro is myself. Why? Because I had the power to take my own life, but I chose not to. So it's, yeah, and and I think that finding the value of life, seeing that your life is so precious, so priceless, is important for you to learn to love yourself, to rekindle, to to love the inner child within you that did not receive the love you needed when you were younger. And so it's like, I basically, you know, sometimes when people say, hey, do you have any kids? I'm like, I'm the kid. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm learning. Yeah. I'm I'm unlearning the past, the unlearning mm-hmm. the things that I mm-hmm. learn, you know. Okay, I yeah. don't have to be a perfectionist, you know. Right. I don't need to be perfect. I can be human. Um, mm-hmm. grades don't define me. My salary right. doesn't define my worth. Right. I am somebody. Right. And and always remembering that and that you are worthy of love. You Mm -hmm. have always been. Mm -hmm. And remembering these things every day, because it's sometimes confidence for, you know, young kids is hard to build. Yeah. Because it makes them afraid to step out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Because they feel the need to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's, I've learned to cherish the inner child inside me and to see how precious I am. And so, I think, yeah. Yeah. So since you mentioned that you're very interested in um, working with young people because uh, you struggled as a young person, so do you speak uh, at schools or with young people? And what uh-huh. do you tell them? So I have gone to the college level to speak to students there. And I've gone to USC, UCLA, UC Irvine, and um, some of the Cal States. And and it's always rewarding to speak to them because I tell them you're like my little brothers and sisters. And... I ask them like, hey, among all of you, who, who, who of you have parents who were born in a different country? And a lot of them raise their hand. Yeah. And, and I tell them that, you know, I mentioned the, like, love languages like everyone Mm -hmm. has a different kind of love language 
So if you didn't feel the love that you needed, it doesn't necessarily mean that they did not love you. They loved you the way they knew how, based on how they were growing up. Mm-hmm. And so if you have different value sets as your parents mm-hmm. and they're not open to listening to you talk about your emotional struggles and are just, you know, they're like, why are you talking about this? Like if they're judgmental, maybe they're not the right people for you to talk to. Right. So you need to find your family outside your family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That emotional support system is vital mm-hmm. in order for you to survive and thrive. Right. Um, and even navigating friendships is very difficult. You know, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's it's hard to know who you can trust mm-hmm. and and that's where like i was just talking with a, a school teacher this morning about like maybe we'll do a workshop on how to be a good friend yeah you know mm-hmm. because sometimes you know when kids they can they learn toxic behaviors from yeah. their parents yeah and they gossip, they talk shit behind your back, right? you know, and they overstep their boundaries or they say mean things about you. And it's like, how do you know if this is a real friend or not? And how do you, how do you resolve conflicts? with other people, whether they right. be with your friends or your family or mm-hmm. siblings. Kids can be so judgmental if you're just a little bit different or something, you know. Yeah. And that's where like, well, where are the coping skills then? How do you handle rejection? Mm-hmm. And those are some of the topics I want to to address with youth today. So Mm -hmm. that, you know, like they don't have to internalize all the rejection and pain that they get, like, because I internalized it and it, and it hit my heart and and it just, it keeps on piling over time. And if Mm -hmm. you don't process that, then you'll blow up one day so since you're interested in working with um youth and um relatively younger populations i'm curious to know what you think of all these shootings (laughs) the shootings in schools i'm sure i know you have lots of opinions about this yeah how it's related to mental health yeah well like i said earlier hurt people hurt people And so when they are hurt and they never received any emotional support, uh, and if they internalize all the pain and if they don't value their own life, they will not value other people's lives. Mm. But if I can, you know, continue to do my talks and reach out to the younger generation, share my life lessons with them, help them to learn to love themselves, 
and see how precious they are, they will see how precious other people's lives are too. And they will not kill other people. Like I watched a TED, I watched part of a TEDx talk by Mm -hmm. a mother who was, whose son was responsible for Columbine shooting. Right. Yeah. And she, she didn't see the signs before, Mm -hmm. but she later realized that her son was a cutter, meaning that he was like, cutting slitting his wrists or oh, something like yeah cutting himself sometimes yeah because when people hurt themselves it's like it's it's a sign of like they're in pain yeah and and so but after he had he and this uh, another boy had had shot up the school he killed himself i think maybe both of them killed themselves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, him killing himself is a reflection of why he killed the other people, too. Because he has so much pain built up inside him that he, he's, he's venting his frustration to the world. Post-college, I was having some revelations. I did start in 2010 to learn up more about my family. So because my mom would get on my case about stuff, my mom was always interested in Taiwan politics. Okay. And so to get her off my back, I'd be like, oh, so what's happening in Taiwan? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And so she would tell me, and she would kind of light up because she saw that I cared. And... And I felt like this was my way of bonding with her and understanding her upbringing and trying Mm -hmm. to understand why she is the way she is. Mm -hmm. And then, so I actually got involved with the Taiwanese census in 2010. Oh, right. Like, you know, right in Taiwanese, because Mm -hmm. growing up, my uncle was like, if anyone calls you Chinese, you tell them you're Taiwanese. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. And and so uh, I got involved with the census. And then um, a lady named Lai Hui Na is like, oh, you're so passionate. You should you should uh, become a volunteer for TACL. And, you know, Taiwanese American citizens. Yeah. And so I used to be the journalism internship coordinator uh, for a a group of high school students. And I volunteered for like their scholarship committee uh, with Hilda. And and then like she like um, and then I also well, actually, just before that, though. I did do a Miss Taiwan pageant, which oh. is kind of controversial, but uh, but I did it to dare myself. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. even that good at public speaking at the time, and okay. but I was like, I wanted to dare myself to try. You know, I was like, oh my god! Like somehow I got really skinny, and I was like, okay. <laughs> like I got to a size two, and I'm like, oh wow. my god! Like 
yeah, I don't know how I did it. Why was um, it controversial? Was it because the whole Taiwan Republic of China or like kind of sponsoring yeah. it or yeah, part of it, yeah, because okay. like um, one of my okay, well, first of all, it's rigged, and oh. yeah, like um, they crowned everyone. They made three ladies queen, the rest princess, and then me and one other girl, um, Taiwan Goodwill Ambassador. Hmm. And some of the t- titles are just so bizarre. It's controversial because of the, the history between the guy who runs it and Taiwan Huiguan, Taiwan mm-hmm. Center in okay. Rosemead. Okay. So because he... Um, I heard that he had uh, trademarked, copyrighted the Miss Taiwan pageant. So it caused Taiwan Center to have to create another pageant and and then trademark that for themselves. So it it was called Miss Taiwanese American. (laughs) So, yeah. So that's a little bit of the drama. And that led to me doing more volunteer work with Taiwan mm. Center and TACL and getting connected with Hilda Lai Hui Na. And and so um, and then I even like I learned from my mom that her cousin, her cousin is one of the leaders of Wufi. Oh, W U F I World, World United Formosans. Uh huh. For independence. Yeah. Uh, his name is Ko Sekai. Ko Uh huh. And when I learned about him and how he inspired people in Taiwan to speak up, because he was blacklisted from going back to Taiwan. I was like, wow, like he stayed, in, he had to stay in Japan um, yeah. because he spoke out against the, 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 che, the Kuomintang party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's before the DPP um, yeah. was able yeah. to come to power. Right. Right. And so I was like, wow, I'm related to Kosekai. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know, he is someone, he's a somebody in Taiwanese history Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm like hey if he can be so outspoken so can I (laughs) you know so it kind of lit this fire in me yeah and so and then like I was always you know I always admired people like Martin Luther King Jr. because yeah people like him wanted to uplift a group of people to feel like they're not less than. Yeah. And so in the same way, when I, I, I just, I wanted people, like I, I got involved in FAPA because mm-hmm. of Kose Kai, of Formosan Associate. No, yeah, for a Mosin Association for Public Affairs. Yeah. And I guess they're based in D.C., but they're different yes. chapters across the country. Yes. And so I, because of my connection to Kote Kai, he mm-hmm. recommended that I go to this D.C. trip um, called U.S. Workshop for Emerging Taiwanese Leaders. Okay. 
and I got a scholarship to pay for part of it. And it was like a very intense one week, uh, like a conference sort of, but for a smaller group of people. (laughs) And I got to meet other Taiwanese leaders, like people from Taiwan, as Mm -hmm. well as a group of Taiwanese Americans who care about U.S.-China-Taiwan relations. And I think that while... Because I also shared with my uncle, Kosei Kai, and, um, and at the FAPA event, I said that, like, I was kind of connecting my life experiences with what I think is going on with, you know, Taiwanese people feeling oppressed by China. Right. And... Like, and sometimes misunderstandings can also feel like a dark cloud over your head, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. And so in a talk in in Maryland that I had, one of the first times I spoke, I shared that, like, I wanted to uplift people by... Like, there are so many emotional triggers that people can have mm-hmm. when confronted by outer environment. Yeah. When, yeah. like, you know, you're th- when you're threatened. Yes. Um, like, you know, the Chinese missiles pointed yeah. towards Taiwan yeah. and, you know, they threatened to overtake Taiwan. And, and it was... It, it, the, yeah, the event, the conference was just so emotionally intense for me. But I was like thinking, if there was a way that you could not allow yourself to give away your power. Okay, so Eleanor Roosevelt, she said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. Right. So that actually means that you have the power to not allow your external environment to make you feel less than. Right. To oppress you. Yeah. And I I was like, I really like that song by Muse, Uprising. If you have a chance to listen to it, uh-huh. I think it's kind of like pop alternative. Right. And it's about like like the chorus goes like, um, they will not control us. We we will be victorious. Like it like uh-huh. kind of like because I also sympathize with the people in China. Sure. Right. Because it's just like, even the Chinese government is very oppressive of their own people. Yeah. I mean, I always say that to a lot of people because it's not that um, it's that I'm against all Chinese people or anything mm-hmm. Chinese. It's the authoritarian government that's exactly. oppressing Taiwan, Taiwanese people, and its own people. Because right. um, I have a lot of friends that are um, Chinese, Chinese American, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and I and I did, by the way, I did see your video about the um, 
not being oppressed, mentally oppressed or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, thanks yeah. for checking yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah, no, because I, yeah. I saw you put that on your yeah. Facebook. But uh, this brings up an interesting question because mm-hmm. I've heard of this term, but I don't know if my listeners have about generational opp- oppression, right? Or I mean, sorry, generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I feel like in the case of Taiwan, let's just take that as an example the things that people in Taiwan have been through, there's been some generational trauma. And how do you, how, well, first of all, can you explain what that is for my listeners and then talk about how that might impact mental health? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say that generational trauma is trauma that has not been processed. And it's, it's when, uh, when a group of people experience similar things but are not able to process those painful memories to heal. Right. And it could be carried like from one generation to the next or through DNA, right? Exactly. So, so then it's like inter- intergenerational trauma. Yeah. And if the older generation doesn't heal, then mm-hmm. it just keeps on getting passed down from generation right. to generation until mm-hmm. someone becomes woke. And realizes, like, wait, wait, stop. We need to look at this. Like, we need to look at these skeletons mm-hmm. and not allow these skeletons to continue passing on the pain from generation to generation. So the and, oppression that you talked about, like the oppression that Taiwanese may have felt from the Kuomintang or even the Japanese era, like we don't have to pin it all on the Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from different authoritarian or outside foreign regimes that mm-hmm. could get passed on generationally, then how does that impact mental health? Because if people, you know, like authoritarians don't want you to tell your story. They want you to be quiet. They don't want you to speak out. They because then you are a threat, right? And so that's why when people remember their old memories, maybe from two two eight massacre, you know, um, anything like it. It's painful. It's painful to share because you're like. You have post-traumatic stress disorder because you're re- you're reliving that story, and it can be very painful. And people just learn to suck it up and swallow, but not process, because to process the painful memories means and to heal from it means that you have to look at the story again to reframe it so it's not so painful anymore but doing so, that in itself yeah. is could be painful because you have to relive it right. and you have to actually face it exactly yeah it is can be traumatizing so mm-hmm. is as long as it's if you continue to only look at relive the pain and you don't process it, then it, it just stays, the pain just stays. Right. But if you can turn it around to be 
look at it as a story that you survived. Yeah, have some lesson, right? Yeah, if you if you take a step back and see that hurt people hurt people. Yep. And that's where people have to wake up and take a step back and even sympathize for the people who hurt them. Because and then that's, you have some, yeah. Uh-huh. And then yeah. you have something called post post traumatic growth, right? Mm. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I think that healing is possible. Yeah. And it's just scary to confront at mm-hmm. first, but if you if you face it, you know, the only way out is through. When I started to put on my own events yeah. in, you know, between 2013 and 2017, mm-hmm. I collaborated with uh, the Asian Youth Center in San Gabriel uh, mm-hmm. to host a bilingual um, mental health awareness mm-hmm. event. And and so... Um, um, I invited my parents. Oh, and my parents said, uh, "We'll come to your event, but don't tell anyone that we're coming. We're that they were there." <laughs> oh uh, boy! And so when I, so I, but instead of keeping quiet about it, I was like, "And I want to thank my parents for being here <laughs> because without them." I would not be here. Yeah. Yeah. And there are are aspects of my parents that I do applaud Mm -hmm. because my dad came from a poor background growing up in Tainan and made something of himself Mm -hmm. and became a doctor Mm -hmm. to provide for our family. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, you know, she has a, um, sort of like feeling of social justice, like you mm-hmm. know when she talks about um, Taiwan and like uh-huh. telling me stories about like oh like the Kuomintang Party brainwashed us and saying we're gonna go back to China and save the people. You yeah, know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And you know, so my m- mom would tell me stories and say like, wow, we need to go back to Taiwan to vote. Be- you know, so that mm-hmm. China doesn't take over, you know, yeah. and, and to support <laughs> right. the DPP, you right. know. Right. And right. so um, I feel, and then, you know, learning that, you know, our family was actually very related to, you know, the Green Party and how Kosekai became, once Apien became president, that he became the, Taiwanese uh, Taiwan ambassador in Japan. So I'm like, oh, I'm related to a politician, you know, and a well-renowned one. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, that just made me feel inspired to be able to do this advocacy work. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, I just wanted. I told my parents in front of everyone, you know, like maybe I have not always seen eye to eye you know, growing up, had long misunderstandings between the the three of us. But I still appreciate you. I love mm-hmm. you. And 
without you, I would not be in this world. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like it, it, and even, even the other day, like most recent, uh, yeah. my mom, like I, I told my mom, like, uh, mom, like in high school, um, <laughs> I was horrible at trigonometry and I got sent home with a D plus because I hated the subject and yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't connect with the material. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and I told her I forged it, mom. <laughs> you know, because I was so scared you were going to like get so mad at me. You know, and so she says, I'm sorry. Like, oh my gosh, you know. It's great that you can have these conversations with your mom. Uh Yeah, it's much more, it's much different than they used to be, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm so glad that my mom is more in touch and, you know, more understanding. And it's, it's. So our relationship is much better than it used to be. So I'm That's very good. glad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about like some something more actionable. Like, um, so a couple things come to mind. So, what would you say would be some signs that somebody's struggling? Like, because I think it's not only is it important to destigmatize mental health, but maybe it's also important to be aware if you have a friend or a family member that may be struggling and if you can identify that and if you can, like how do you talk to them or if they have indicated to you that they're struggling, like how do you deal with that? Like what can you, how can you support them? Mm-hmm. And this would go probably in the workshop on how to be a good friend, <laughs> Yeah. right? How to be a good friend to support your friends who are struggling because um, sometimes you never, it's not always obvious. Like uh, when my high, I reconnected with my high school teacher several years ago, um, I found her at an, a event that was hosted by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And I asked her, like, Mrs. Toe, why are you here? And she says, because my son died by suicide. Oh. And she didn't really see the signs. So sometimes it can be hard. However, it's so important. It's so, so important to not be dismissive or judgmental. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the more judgmental you are and dismissive, you will put them off and they will not want to turn to you for, uh, to, they, you know, it's it's so important to be a listening ear. Mm -hmm. Like that's what Enoch was to me. Like my Mm -hmm. sister was like to me Mm -hmm. for growing up too, like that. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my high school teachers was like that too. And, it's it's really important to find those teachers, those people you can really trust to hear you out and make you feel safe. That you they you won't take what you hear from them and like 
let it backfire on them. That you keep what they say confidential mm-hmm. because they are you. They you should be you should feel honored that they are pouring their heart to you when they they're becoming vulnerable yeah. with you yeah. with their emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You never know if they've like told their emotions to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so it's important to be kind of to be sensitive to to what they're sharing with you mm-hmm. and um and and also it's important to also relate with them too. Mm-hmm. Because if let's say for example they share a friend shares with you that their grandparent died mm-hmm. and they were close and they're crying mm-hmm. because they are in grief mm-hmm. and they don't know how to handle it. And so as a friend, you can learn, go instead of like, like dig back into your brain a memory that you have where you are able to relate to this person and say, you know what? Like my grandmother also died when I was young and I cried a lot too. I went to the hospital with her um, when she was close to her death. And I remember when her hands stopped moving. And, but I remember her love. And, you know, this is true. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why I'm kind of tearing up. Yeah, I think that you're remembering, you're thinking about your grandmother. Yeah. yeah. And so when you're able to dig back into your past to remember these similar experiences, mm-hmm. it helps the person you're talking to to feel that they are not alone mm-hmm. and that you're sitting right beside them. Mm-hmm. And you and could also try to feel the compassion, like maybe if you didn't have a loved one die, you had a pet die or yeah, exactly. some, there's some other painful, somebody else mm-hmm. uh, leave your life or some, something happened to you that you could try to identify with what somebody else is going through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Some people, there's a program that's also called emotional CPR. And so oh. um, I think that program's in uh, uh, translated into different languages. I think there's one. Can you you know, Google that emotional CPR. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I took the training myself. Oh, and, interesting. But it's like when I took the training, I'm like, this comes easy to me because I already know how to do it. You know, like this is second nature to me. Like, you know, and, and it's not everyone knows how to dig back into their past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because like you can't do, yeah, it's not, it's like you can't do for someone that you can't do for yourself. Sure. Right. So there's this image that I'm thinking of that it's like 
even if you reach out to someone, like let's say like you're trying to find friends that will be receptive to understanding your vulnerabilities and pain, uh-huh. right? But if that person is not receptive to getting you and just yeah. says, suck it up, like, you know, just stuff it, you know, like, I don't want to hear this, like, <laughs> like, go, don't be a sissy, like, man up, like, yeah. Those are the people who are actually fearful of confronting their own skeletons. Because oh, that that's is the Yeah, that's the way that they learn growing up. Yeah, yeah. It's too painful to relive, right? So that's why it's so important to find people who get you. And that's why I facilitate support groups for NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, because I I feel so good when I'm facilitating classes and groups where these individuals say, I, I can't talk to my family members. They just don't get it. Like some, my friends don't get it either. So being here is so comforting because it, you guys just get me like I don't feel any judgment here and and so I create because of the way I am and how I grew up like I want I I create because of my personality we create these safe spaces for people to share and not feel judged and criticized and and just we let them share their distress and and then we connect and say yeah i've been there this is you know what the, may i share with you what i did to handle this situation and you know you ask for permission instead of you know, um, telling them what to do. Because sometimes people don't want to be told what to do. They just, they need a listening ear. And so, um, but if you kindly ask, do you want to know what I think or what I think you should do? And then if they say yes or, it's like you give them the option of saying yes or no. And then they, or you can say, what do you need from me? How can I be here for you? Because I see that you're in a lot of pain and I want to be here for you. What can I do? Um, and so, you know, just like you could say, like, I, you, do you need a listening ear? You know, I'm here. I'm here for you. And if they say, no, I'm not, I, I don't want to talk. And then you can just say, okay, um, well, you know, I care about I care about you a lot. I love you. I, you know, I'll, I hope the best for you and everything. And so if you ever need me, I'm here. Mm. I'm here for you. Yeah. So That's important to let somebody know. Emily shared about her involvement in NAMI the National Alliance of Mental Illness, and how people can get support from NAMI. 
So there's NAMI.org, and then you can search, like, find a chapter. And okay. so uh, from their national website, um, that's the way you can search. Is anybody allowed to go to these support groups? Like, can yes. They, they can just yep. walk in and sign up if they need someone to talk to or whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's there's a... If you go to their website, like mm. you could just register, you put your email in, and then like mm. you'll get a link to join through Zoom. So oh, okay. um, you get the meeting ID and password, and then um, yeah, you can just join. Okay. So okay. yeah, so um, there's also NAMI peer to peer classes that I facilitate, um, and so. Um, those classes are really good because it helps peers. Peers is another word for people who have a diagnosis. And so um, our, our groups are peer facilitated. So mm-hmm. I don't have a clinical degree, but I've been trained to do this kind of work. I do have other um, speaking engagements coming up and um, and people can follow me on my Facebook page, yes. um, Emily Lutrong with my yes. Chinese name. Mm-hmm. So, um, and to, to see, like follow my, uh, I started doing some like blogs, like, well, not blog, but like kind of like a live video just oh, to yeah. okay. share yeah. my monologue, yes. like right. my thoughts. Your yeah. thoughts, yeah, to speak yeah. out your thoughts, yeah. Yeah, so that's something new that I've been doing of recent. Yeah. Like, just only did three videos so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yeah, um, so they can see yeah. that on Facebook. And is it on Instagram also or just Facebook? Uh, mostly Facebook. There's also a, a Facebook group that I'm in charge of called oh, okay. um, Asian Mental Health Advocates Unite. Okay. And we'll share that I'm, in the show notes. Yeah. So that's something I'm thinking about starting a support group there, like yeah. my own support group. And it it's like where I, I'm not paid for it, but it's like more like volunteer work. And uh-huh. so that, um, people don't necessarily have to go to the NAMI groups, but that they, if only thing though, is that I would probably have to limit it to a certain number of people. So it doesn't sure. get so overwhelming. So, yeah. cause, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's difficult to yeah. handle a group of 20 when you're mm-hmm. doing a 90 minute support group and you yeah. want it because, um, it's important to keep the group small so yeah. that you can give people can attention. More, yeah, give everyone a chance to share, but also um, um, it's so it stays intimate. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I like the intimacy. So then it gives people feel like like yeah, there's enough time. So. Yeah. 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 Great. So. Okay. So, is there anything else that you'd like to share um, since this episode is going to be airing for Bodbok <laughs> Mental Health yeah. Awareness Month? Yeah. Well, you know, remember to find your friend, uh, find your family outside your family, especially if you don't feel a connection with your family or friends. Yes, it's hard to, you know, venture out and 
find new friends to make, but they are out there. Um, and if you need to go come to a support group and check out any, there's so many support groups out there. And if you need my list, I will forward it to you personally, <laughs> you know? So, um, yeah. So like, just don't feel alone. You are not alone. You know, feelings are not facts. And one of the support groups I like to go to is called Recovery International. And they've given me a list of tools to be able to de-stress um, when I am distressed, to endorse myself, pat myself on the back for every effort that I make. Endorse for yourself for the effort, not just for the performance. Because we are, we do grow up in a very performance-oriented world. And it's so important for us to at least pat ourselves on the back for every step that we make. Because it means that we tried. Yeah, Trying is better than not doing anything at all, you know? <laughs> So yeah, give yourself credit and don't yeah. underestimate yourself. Yeah. You are yeah. precious. You are priceless. Mm -hmm. You are worthy. Yeah. So, so interesting yeah. what you said about the performance base. I think um, with social media, it hasn't that it's it hasn't been so prevalent mm -hmm. in any time in history as now with mm -hmm. social media. Oh, yeah. Everything's a performance. <laughs> oh, yeah. But one thing that I do like is um, yeah. uh, I found a, like, my friend, um, she posted something about competition. Mm -hmm. And I, I, it made me dig up my own, like, post that I shared a long time ago that helped me to yeah. redefine what success is to me. Here's a quote that I like. Mm -hmm. I am not in competition with anyone else. I run my own race. Yeah. I have no desire to play the game of being better than everyone else around me in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. I just aim to improve, mm -hmm. to become better, a better person than I was. That's me, and I am free, right? Because yes. then you do away with, like, the social expectation of mm -hmm. needing to up people, yeah. you know, and yeah, compete. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, I am on my own journey. Yeah, exactly. And, and I cannot compare my journey with other people. Mm -hmm. Like I'm yeah. going to pave my own way because I know this is what's right and this is what's needed. Yeah. Right. You know, because they say do what you love and you never have to work a day in your life. Exactly, because it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. I mean, there is challenge in trying yeah. to earn money. Yeah. Doing what you love. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I think that's the challenge of entrepreneurs yeah, but it doesn't have to be if you're yeah. good at it and you get to the people that know your value thank you for your time and your open-heartedness um mm. i can see your emotions and when you talk about things it's so real 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I like being able to stir the pot. people think you know and i think it's very heartfelt right yes so that so it makes you think about your own life and what you you, anyone when i share my story to make them think and what do i need to work on like what needs like challenging what you the thoughts the the status quo what you grew up with is and and reframing you know like who am i and and you know who do i want to become you know and so and what is the definition of success in life and, yeah you know so i like being able to stir the pot and <laughs> make people think yeah. because like people need to wake up and and Find out what makes you happy. What makes you burn for social change? Or what is it today that you see are the problems? Because you don't have to wait until you have money to fix something, a problem that's happening today. Yeah. You can be a somebody now yeah. and make that change today. Yes. You don't have to wait until yes. you're an adult with money. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that's, that's also yeah. another message yeah. I want to share with yeah. the youth. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you are not useless kids. Yeah. You have purpose. Yeah. You have always yeah. had purpose yeah so anyways well thank you okay. so much for having me okay yeah. yeah all right i've been speaking with emily Wu Trong, a motivational speaker for mental health awareness this episode of talking taiwan has been sponsored by natwa the north america taiwanese women's association natwa was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NAWA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There we'll list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.